Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. If you will open your Bible to Mark 12, we'll be there in a little bit. But the English word priority was first used in the 1400s to describe something of utmost importance, the, the big thing. For the next 500 years, uh, priority was always used as a singular word. But then in the 1940s, a uh, management expert wanted to show the importance of several things and he expanded the word to be plural. So we now have the word priorities. He thought there were several things that would each be very important, and so we should set them up each as priorities. Now, sometimes we have competing priorities. There's different things that, that we have. Some of you who really enjoy football. Years ago, we had a deacon in our church who was a diehard Nebraska fan. God forgave him. But he was a diehard Nebraska Cornhuskers football fan. And back then, a long time back, the Cornhuskers were playing in the national championship. And he was serving as a deacon here. And so I called him and I said, hey, dude, I need you to go with me to make a visit this afternoon. I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. It's just dead quiet on the phone. <laughs> He's trying to manufacture some excuse he wouldn't have to go with me. But then I told him I was just kidding. I knew he was watching the Nebraska game. I'm not sure whether they won or not, but I know it made a big difference to him that day. Uh, but we have competing priorities sometimes. And then Jesus gives us tremendous clarity in the story that we're going to read this morning. Uh, a guy asked him, which is the first law the greatest one of the 613 laws on the books for the ancient nation of Israel, uh, which came first. Now, Jesus wasn't describing it chronologically. When he talked about which came first, he was talking about which one is the priority, which one is the big thing, which one is the most important one of them all. Now, Jesus gave a clear and concise answer based on the Old Testament scripture and based on his own personal, intimate knowledge of God the Father. Heavenly Father, as we read your word this morning, I pray that we would focus our hearts, that we would listen to your truth and listen to your spirit, and that we would be drawn closer to you. If there's anyone here today who has never yet trusted Christ as Savior, I pray they would do so this day before they leave this place. And we thank you for your love and grace, and we pray that we would love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Mark chapter 12, join me and you follow along as I read. We're, we're going to read only a few verses this morning, and we'll get to more of it another day. So, verse 28, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12. In the right place, I probably steered you the wrong way. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Then one of the scribes came. Now pause just a moment. A scribe was somebody who wrote down the scripture. Some translations say expert of the law. 
They were the ones who copied the scripture. Long before printing presses, there were people who did all that work. And they would copy it over every letter, everything exactly the same to make sure they had it right. And so uh, one of these scribes has heard Jesus. He has heard them reasoning together and he perceived that Jesus answered those people well. So he read through the law. He knows the law. He's written it. I don't know how many times in his life. He's written it over. He's copied it. He understands it. And now he listens to Jesus and he thinks, Jesus gave a really good answer there. So now I'm going to ask him a question. So he says to him, which is the first commandment of all? Again, not chronologically, what was the first one given, but which one is the most important one? Which one is the big idea that we need to get this one right? And so Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, now he's going to quote from the Shema, a portion of Deuteronomy, uh, but now the word Shema means to hear. And so uh, often Jewish people would pray this, and Orthodox Jews still do every day. They would pray this part of Deuteronomy. The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now we understand he's a triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly spells that out. In fact, in the beginning of creation, when it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, that word is a unique word. It's a singular plural. It's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why God said, let us make man in our image. Because he was talking about the Trinity of the Godhead, the triune God. So here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so there's a uniqueness about God. Uh, uh, there, God is one. God is totally working together, totally in sync. And then he says in verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the priority. Now, what he's quoting from in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then later in Deuteronomy chapter 10, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord God, also the earth and all that is in it. So this is the highest good of your life. This is the most important thing you can do in your life the most significant pursuit, the highest of your high priorities. It's the brass ring. It's the gold medal. It's the thing you should strive for to love the Lord, your God. And then he spells it out to emphatically with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is saying that God needs to be first 
In your heart. Can you click that next slide, Tim? First, in your heart. And then he wants you to have first place in your body and in every part of who you are. He's not limiting it. He's expanding it. Every part of who you are should be yielded to who he is. Nothing and no one is more important than your personal relationship with God. Now, when we talk about a personal relationship, some people get the idea that it's just me and God and I don't need to worry about anybody else. No, we're going to look at that another day. We have a responsibility to other people. But if you don't get the God relationship right, you're not going to get the other relationships right. Your life needs to be centered on God, loving Him, appreciating Him. The creator of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, that creator deserves the fullness of your love in response to His great love. Every part of Him wants to be connected to every part of you. So, I want you to mark your spot here in Mark chapter 12, and I want you to turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. How important is this love? Well, Revelation chapter 2, if you have a Bible or, or your phone or whatever you're looking at, if it does red letter version of the text, then you're going to see that all of chapter 2 and 3 are in red. These are spoken by Jesus, and he's dictating letters. His scribe is John the Apostle, and John's going to write these letters down, and he's going to send these letters out to the churches. But he also collected these letters together and included them here in the book of the Revelation. And so in chapter 2 and verse 1, he, uh, Jesus is dictating a letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, I'm not going to go into all the theological stuff that's going to take place in this letter, but the word angel means the messenger. Uh, we presume theologically understanding that it was to the pastor of the churches and the instruction given to that pastor to correct the church in areas where it needed correcting. So, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's found in the description of Jesus in chapter 1. He's identifying, I am the one that John saw in that vision. Now here I'm going to say, he's going to talk about some good things they do, and then he's going to talk about one flaw. So he says in verse 2, I know your works. They're serving, they're doing, they're accomplishing, they're working. They're not slackers, they're not lazy, they're seeking to accomplish something. I know your works, your labor, your patience. They were enduring in difficult times, and he's well aware of that. And then he says, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. There are evil people in the world, and there are evil false teachers in some churches. And he said, you can't tolerate that. I understand that. I appreciate that. And he says, goes on in verse 2, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. 
So he was looking at what they were teaching. He was looking at how they were communicating. And he was saying, you're not, you're, you are rejecting the right people. That's one of the issues we have today. You know, it used to be there was a filter system before information got out there. We maybe didn't agree with the filter system, but uh, when I was a kid, there were the big three networks on television, and they had newsmen, and they filtered everything, and all you got was theirs. But there were some advantages to that, too. There was a process that you had to go through to get your voice out there. I read a lot of news or listen to news online now, and you know one of the problems with online articles, they can just go on and on and on. They don't have to be concise. Back when you had to print everything, they had to keep it concise, they had to make it tight, it had to make more sense, and, and there used to be you had to justify your arguments. Nowadays, anybody can say anything and it's just out there. So how are you gonna know the difference? How are you going to recognize whether some of those teachers that call themselves Bible experts, their community, how are you going to know whether they're good or bad? Well, you need to have an understanding of God's Word. You need to compare what they're teaching to what God's Word actually says. And, and that's what the church in Ephesus was doing. Now, i got to tell you, it's a lot easier for us today. We have the whole Scripture. We have Bible study tools. We have all kinds of ways to understand God's word accurately. They didn't have it. And so they, the part of scripture was still being written. And so, but he's praising this church because even though it was more difficult for them than it is for us, they put in the work, the labor, the effort, the toil to make it clear, to understand it, and to make good decisions based on it. Then he says in verse three, you have persevered and have patience. You have persevered and have patience. Yep, no, this is the second time he's mentioned patience, the patient endurance. They're persevering. There's difficult times. They're not quitting. Just because somebody said something bad, they didn't quit. They kept at it. They kept going. They kept serving. You have persevered and are patient and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. They're just keeping going. They're serving. They're laboring. Sometimes it's really fun to serve the Lord. Sometimes it's really a lot of work to serve the Lord. And they were doing both. They were serving and toiling, and God was appreciating that. Jesus was talking about that. Then he says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you. So he's praised them for work and patience and toil and study and good doctrine. They were teaching accurately. They were rejecting false teaching. And he's praising them for all that. But he said, now I have one problem. Now in our mindset, right, we would think, hey, this is like a 95%. They get an A. But Jesus said, you're failing. Because this one thing is the one thing. He says in the middle of verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They didn't have that first love for God. They didn't have God first. They didn't have that priority. You know, some people actually start to worship the Bible 
Instead of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping God's word. And God's word is supposed to direct you to God. It's supposed to reveal who God is. It's not supposed to be so you can win Bible quiz competitions. It's so you can have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, through the scripture and through the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus gives them a warning in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you are, have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now jump back to Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is saying, hey, you church in Ephesus, you're doing a great job at all the secondary things. But the one thing, the one big priority, you have failed. You have left your first love. And you need to repent or else you're going to lose your authority to be my church. When the people of God stop loving the person of God, they're actually departing from God. And so Jesus said, the big thing, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God, with every part of who you are, to love him. Jesus recognized the church in Ephesus for their understanding of scripture, for their passion for the truth. He recognized and appreciated their hard work and their endurance, even in difficult circumstances. He rejoiced that they exposed false teachers and that they would not allow those false teachers to teach and communicate in the truth. But he but he had a big, huge, vital problem with them. Their heart was not right. <laughs> Sometimes we focus on the externals. But God focuses on the heart. He doesn't ignore the externals. He just looks beyond them. He looks at the heart. So they had left their first love. The highest priority of all. They had abandoned the one big thing. And if they didn't get back to loving God first, they were going to lose their opportunity to represent God on earth. So what if Jesus was writing that to us? What if he was communicating it to us, the creator of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? He deserves the fullness of your love in response to his great love. See, what we find when we read through the Bible that love is a verb. Love is a verb. It's actually an action. It's not an emotion. Biblical love is not so much how you feel, but what you do. You are doing loving action toward the Father. Loving God with everything you've got, holding nothing back. Now, sometimes it feels kind of like Jesus set the bar impossibly high, right? Hey, the church in Ephesus, you're doing fantastic in so many areas, but in this one area, you're failing, and so I'm going to discipline you. You know, if you go to that region of the world today, you don't find a church that was established in the first century. You find a church that was started centuries later because that church in the first century died. They never got back to their first love. The church disappeared. 
And we need to make sure that we as a church and we as individual people who are part of the church, that we put God first. That we have loving action toward God, that we're moving toward him. And so sometimes it feels like Jesus set the bar impossibly high, but to be honest with you, loving God should be one of the easy things for us. Right? I mean, uh, you heard the joke probably about the blonde who went in to get her hair cut and she told the lady, don't, don't remove my headphones. She had earbuds in her ears. Don't remove my earbuds. And the, then she fell asleep while the lady was cutting her hair. And so the lady pulled the earbuds out thinking she'll never know and she was cutting her hair and then the blonde lady died. And the lady couldn't figure what it was and so she picked up the hearing and put it in and it said, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Now, my apologies to you blondes or former blondes out there. Listen, loving God should be as easy as breathing. Shouldn't require work. We shouldn't have to work it out. We're not saying, have this emotional awe about God. You wake up in the morning and, ah, I'm a child of God. I mean, some of you wake up in the morning, you're a lot more excited about breakfast than you are about being a child of God. I understand that. But God should be first. First in your heart, first in your life. You should love him because he of who he is. We love him because of what he's done. We love him because he first loved us. We appreciate him. So when Jesus sets this bar so high, this should be first. I want to give you two words today that will help you think about how to love God first. The first word is pursuing. Pursuing. Now, I don't know if you can see it on the screen there. There's a, a guy walking along the, the hill there, and he's in the, in the bottom of that part, and he's moving. And where's he going to go? He's going to go up to the top of that one. He's probably not going to go much further than the top of that next hill uh, because that's a pretty big step in the wrong direction. But pursuing, there should be movement. Now, some of you are too young. You have not been in love. Some of you are in love. Some of you uh, love somebody who's now in heaven and you miss them every day. And you know what? When, when you are first falling in love with someone, for some of you, that's a long time ago. We have people in here who've been married 50, 60 years. Uh, think back when you were first falling in love. So what do you do? Well, there's a longing. You, you want to be with that person. Uh, Kathy and I fell in love right when I was going in the Marine Corps. And so we got to talk to each other every other week when I got a paycheck. I went and got two rolls of quarters and found a quiet spot with a payphone, and I'd call her till my quarters ran out. It's so much easier today. But you know, I didn't have to pay for this phone back then. Nowadays, long distance is free. But you got to pay a ton of money to get your phone. It's a weird world. Although I do like my phone a lot better. So you, you, you have this longing. You want to be together. There's an inclining of your heart toward that person. 
There's a desire to be connected. Now, some of you, you fell in love right away, right? They call it that love at first sight. You see that person and you just want to be with that person. For other people, it came on gradually and all of a sudden you realize, I love them. But either way it happens, you're inclining yourself to them. You're pursuing them. There's, there's a desire to be around them. And you don't have that desire to be around other people the same way you have that desire to be around them. You're delighted to be around them. Now, my family was a pretty rowdy family. Kathy's family was calm and still is for the most part. Kathy is the rowdy one in her family. I'm the quiet one in my family. No joke. And so when she came to my family, it was rowdy, it was loud. And, you know, there was a time when I was in the Marine Corps and my family got together to celebrate my birthday. And there was Kathy right in the middle of them. Why did she go put up with my crazy brothers? Because she loved me. She was inclining herself, even connecting into my family because of that. Now, and when you're falling in love, you're learning about somebody. Sometimes you maybe don't even know his name or her name. You just saw them and, wow, I'd be interested. Attraction can happen initially. But love, you, you really don't love until you get to know them a little bit. You, you understand them. And so uh, you want to know what, what are they like and what do they like. You know, maybe you're gonna ask, a guy's gonna ask her out to dinner, and so he needs to know what kind of restaurant to go to. You know, uh, does she really want to go uptown like McDonald's or something cool like that, or some other cheaper restaurant? No. <laughs> but but you you gotta know, and so you're learning them and and you're figuring it out. In fact, I didn't even know her real name because she goes by Kathy, but her name is Catherine. And so I knew another Kathy, and she was Kathleen, so I just assumed she was Kathleen, or she's not. And it took me, we wrote letters back and forth, and it took me several letters before she finally uh, fessed up to how to spell her name. She's Catherine with a K, and not Kathleen, and not with a C, and I kept getting it wrong, and then we finally got, but you get to know them. And then you know what they like and what they don't like. And, and you appreciate them. And we need to learn about God. Um, so, so you think about God. You, you learn about God primarily by reading, listening to, and learning the scripture. And also like Bible messages like this one. And in fact, we offer free Bible training every Sunday morning at 930 in this room, in this place for adults and in the other rooms for the kids, uh, high school on down to preschool kids, we have it available, and we offer free Bible training, and the, the adult, well, all of them, they're working through a study through the New Testament right now, and we have some very qualified and capable teachers at every level, and they help you understand the scripture, and, the, and people get to ask questions. Sometimes the teachers asking questions, they have to fill in, uh, or, or give the answer to. Other times the students are asking questions and the teacher's directing them. Uh, but it helps you understand and apply God's word to your life. I encourage you to be part of that. Um, the more you know about God, the more you have the capacity to love God. The more you understand his word, his will, his way, the better you can love and appreciate him for who he really is. You know the real God. 
There's a longing, there's a learning, and then there's a loving. Uh, all of these are parts of pursuing him. And the second word to think about loving God is the word pleasing. Pleasing. I don't know why that lady's smiling with that ugly dog sitting right there. <laughs> I know some of you are real dog lovers. But, uh, when you are showing love, listen, when you are showing love, you're intentionally not offending. So, conversely, when you offend somebody, you weren't showing love right there. Now, you can offend accidentally. I'm talking about when you're offending on purpose, harassing somebody. Then you're not showing love. Uh, when, you're, when you are showing love, you, you want to feel their approval. You see, little kids do this all the time. They do something and they look at their parents and they want to see their parents smile. Say, good job. They want affirmation. And, and we want to please when you really love. Now, if you're self-centered, you don't care what anybody thinks, then you don't love anybody, except maybe yourself, and that's a big mistake. It's not wrong to love yourself, but it's wrong to love yourself above other people. The Bible's very clear. We have to look out for other people as well. So when, when you love, you want to share in their joy, and you want them to share in your joy. And so Joshua gave us some counsel that helps flesh out this loving God a little bit. In Joshua 22, 5, he said, Take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandment, to hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. So Joshua says, you're going to love him, you're going to obey him. You're going to listen and learn and follow what he says, and you're going to serve him, and that's part of loving him. Uh, I was reading in a book, and I can't remember which book. I, I This phrase stuck in my head, but I don't remember the author. It was a book I read last year. We have a total misunderstanding about grace if we think it makes us less serious about holiness. See, when you really love, it makes a difference. So way back in the day when John met um, Anna, and John fell in love with Anna instantly, and Anna gradually fell in love with John. Kind of like that, right? Uh, and, and back in that day, see, John, did you date other girls before her? And, and she had a boyfriend before him. But when they met each other, man, when they were in love with each other, John never took another girl out. Anna never went out with another guy. Why? They loved each other. See, when you love, there's, there's a commitment there. That, I mean, how many women are there in the world today? If there's seven, almost eight billion people on planet Earth and there's more women than men, and, um, you know, that's, there's a bunch of them. So if you go within, within five years of your age, right? Within five years of your age, uh, plus or minus five, there could be a hundred, uh, 900 million women on planet Earth. But if you're in love with one, that's the one you want to please. That's the one you're pursuing. And some of you have suffered the heartache 
of having the one who promised to be true to you not be true to you. You've endured the heartbreak of that. How do you think God feels when we don't try and please him? We totally get it from a human perspective. You keep yourself pure. You focus on that. You, you reject other people no matter what. I, uh, there's no excuse for infidelity in a marriage relationship. If you have ever been the one guilty of it, God forgives all sins. If you've been the injured one, God can heal your heart. But even more, there's no excuse for you and I to not be true to our God. He loves us. He cares about us. When he was creating the earth and he built the heavens and God created the heavens and the earth and the universe was out there and stars were out there and there were birds flying and trees growing and all kinds of stuff going on. And he said, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then when he created people, he said, that's very good. Because he created people in his own image. We're not high order primates. We're specially handcrafted by God. People are unique, and all the animals produce after their kind, but mankind was made after God's kind. He created us in his image. And so uh, we need to care about the things that God cares about. Sometimes we care about different things. You know, in our house, uh, if there's a football game on, it's really hard for Kathy to have a serious conversation with me because she wants to be tuned into the football game. And then if there's a track race on, I love watching that, don't get to watch them very often, but I, I used to compete and running, and so I enjoyed watching those. And I don't want to have a serious conversation with her while that's going on. And the only argument we ever have is which team we're going to vote against in a football game. It's like uh, sometimes she's cheering for one team and I'm cheering for the other. Most of the time, my team wins. No. <laughs> She's actually a pretty good uh, judge of which team's going to win most of the time. But listen, we should strive to please God. And, and Paul wrote this instruction to Titus. And he, when he was, Titus is one of the three called pastoral epistles to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These were instructions that he gave to guys who were helping lead churches and instructing pastors of churches. And so this was instruction for the church. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So Paul said, we receive the grace of God. Salvation is by grace. You are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
It's a gift that we receive. But once we receive that grace, because of that very grace, then we should have a desire to respond back to God in obedience. We should have a desire to please Him. And when John the Apostle was writing his first letter, 1 John 3, 3, he said that basically said that our hope in Christ leads us to purify ourselves. We don't say, oh, it's all grace. I can do whatever I want. It's all grace. I don't have to worry about sin anymore because it's all grace. No, we should strive to please God. Because that's what we do when we love somebody. Now, how many of you, when you were a kid, you got to pick what was your, your dinner on your birthday? Any of you got to pick that? Yeah. Now, one of our kids, I can't remember which one, when they were very little, they wanted boxed macaroni and cheese for their birthday dinner. Shows a lack of discernment, I think. But <laughs> a macaroni and cheese is good, but her homemade stuff, not the box stuff. And so that's what we had. Sometimes it was hot dogs. Sometimes they got to choose whatever they wanted. Why? That was part of the birthday celebration. In fact, Megan never really liked cakes all that much, right? You, you got cookies and... That's Courtney. Oh, Courtney didn't like cakes. So, cookies. <laughs> Donuts. <laughs> That's right. One time we were having cake, and she asked if she could have carrots instead. <laughs> Should have made a carrot cake. What were we thinking? I don't know. But, but when you're doing something for someone else, you want to please them. Now, I realize in our culture, we misunderstand the term serving. If you go like into Walmart, there's people there, their job is to serve you. Sometimes they're friendly, sometimes they're not. Not down on Walmart, that's true everywhere. Sometimes you go into a restaurant, you get a server who's fantastic. Hopefully you leave them a big tip because they're, they're fantastic. They earn more. And you, but you got some that aren't. Sometimes you go to see a government servant. They are hired to serve the people of our city, our state, our country. That's their job is to serve. And they act like they're lords of their domain and you are a little people. God's not that way. What God allows in your life, he allows for your good to help you become more like Christ. Romans 8, 28, and 29. There are no accidents. We get in accidents sometimes, car accidents, personal accidents. We drop things, they break, they shatter, we bump, we break toes and, and nose and all kinds of stuff, bump it into things. But God never has an accident. And God loves us so much that every little thing he allows in our life, he promises he'll use for your good. So because God is doing that, he's looking over everything, that we should have this desire to please him, to put ourselves in a position where we can be blessed. We've just celebrated Christmas. We've just celebrated the birth of our Savior. And the one woman in that story, the significant woman, there's a couple others mentioned, but the most significant one is Mary. And she was ready to be used by God because she had kept herself pure, because she was pursuing the Lord, because she had an understanding of God's word. And so she can now respond to what God wanted to do in her life. And we need to do that. 
We need to be pursuing him and pleasing him. He wants you to love him, to trust him, to follow him. The highest good that you can do, the priority, the most important thing and the best thing you can ever do in your life is to love the Lord your God. Now, there's a group of people, they got cell phones, they got uh, tablets, they got a laptop, they're working their schedules, they're doing their stuff. The priority of your year, 2022. <laughs> the priority of 2022 is to love the Lord your God. Amen. Now, if you get that right and you fail in a couple other areas, at least you got the most important thing right. If you do everything else right and you fail in that one area, you're going to be like the church in Ephesus. God's going to look at you and say, I have this thing against you. Your first love, the highest love, the greatest priority, you have failed. So let's not fail. Let's love him. Let's learn his word. Let's follow his ways. Let's hang around with other people who love him and serve him. I'm not saying ignore other people. We need to have a, an outreach. We need to be talking to unsaved people, encouraging them to follow Christ. But our closest friends, our confidants, the people we share our values with, let them be people who share the values that God has. And we can love him. And you know what? Not only does God love you with an everlasting love, God is infinitely lovable. All right, it's confession time. Raise your hand if you have a family member that is kind of hard to love. Anybody? Okay, now, don't point if you're sitting next to them. But sometimes there's some people it's hard to love. What's hard to love about God? Who loves us so much. Who watches out for us so well. Who provides for us, who cares for us. God is infinitely loving. Let's love the Lord our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to love and serve you back. I pray that we would do that faithfully, not just this day, but this year. May our life be one of leaning and pursuing you, leaning toward you, leaning into that relationship. May we focus on pleasing you, because someday when we stand before you, that will be the only stuff that matters. What we did to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.